Hey on the call listeners, this is Jeremy Neff, and I'm here with my colleague Pam Leist. We'll get to the episode soon, but we want to share a quick announcement first. Jeremy and I are excited to share that we will once again be speaking at the LRP National Institute, this time in Savannah, Georgia, on May 5th through the 8th. Conference is really a fantastic opportunity for school education professionals like yourselves to come together and share insights and knowledge. Jeremy and I are honored to be speaking at the National Conference for the third year in a row. My session is Can You Keep a Secret? Navigating Confidentiality under IDEA 504 and FERPA. I'll be sharing practical tips for keeping your teams compliant with these laws. After leading a session for school attorneys on lessons learned from COVID, my topic for the National Institute is successfully mapping the exit from IDEA services. I'll discuss the different ways a student ends eligibility and how to ensure that's a successful transition. These sessions promise to be insightful and practical as always, and we always offer actionable takeaways you can implement in your schools. If you want to learn more about the National Institute, you can find a link in the show notes for the newest on-the-call episode or go to lrpinstitute.com. Pam and I hope to see you there in Savannah. Until then, enjoy this episode of On the Call. Ennis Britton, this is Erin. Hi, Erin. Do you have time for what I think is a quick question? Sure. How can I help? We held an expulsion hearing for a student recently, but the parents are demanding that a manifestation review is held. Mm -hmm. The student is unidentified, but the parents have an evaluation obtained in the last week to state that their child has a disability and that the district cannot discipline the child because of that diagnosis. Can you help? Welcome to Season 2 of On the Call, Ennis Britton's special education law podcast. I'm Erin Wessendorf-Wortman. And I am Jeremy Neff. And we are ready to dig into this call. It feels like these evaluation requests when they come in, Jeremy, are like buzzer beaters. If I get this request in before you hit that buzzer for expulsion, I win and you can't get my kid out of school. Buzzer beater. I like that. I'm just... Or, Or Hail Mary. No, I like buzzer beater. I've had too many football analogies where you yelled at me for what color of the flag was what I was throwing in this pod. It has nothing to do with your like Catholic school upbringing. You're like, no, Hail Mary is not appropriate. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's mainly I'm in basketball mindset right now. Right. Call that fifth grade girls, B team, assistant coach. I'm going with buzzer beater. Because I'm going to get you a sweatshirt. You should. Absolutely. I'm gonna. It should say I'm here for the ice packs and the band-aids because that is my role. But every time these girls think at practice, I'm going to try these half-court shots. We're yeah. going to need a buzzer beater. You You're never, never going to need a buzzer yeah. beater. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. You're not going to need this. If you're not winning the game in the other 39 minutes of the game, you're not winning it now, friends. But that's just who I am. So in any event. Yeah, back to your caller. The, the buzzer beater here also, right? The buzzer beater okay. here, All I right. don't really view as that appropriate win. However, it does give districts the mindset that more may need to be done. We can't just have the flat, no pound salt go away. There are requirements in general that we need to hit on. And so I know we've had a couple of different podcasts where we talked about MDRs in the first season. So with regard to an MDR, just in general, whenever a district proposes a change of placement of a student with a disability, we have to conduct an MDR or a manifestation determination review within 10 days of making that decision. But the problem in some of these cases is we don't have an identified student. Yeah, it gets tough to answer some of those questions, right? It depends, you know, state by state, there's slight variations, but the gist of it is 
you got to start with understanding the kid's disability to understand that connection between, if there is one, the disability and the behavior. And what if there is no at least identified disability? No identified, but then it becomes when do we have knowledge? And the regs in the U.S. Department of Education have been pretty clear on outlining for us as schools when we have knowledge. And it's one of about three instances, and I'm not going to get the verbatim out there, but we're talking about the parents have expressed a concern in writing to the district. I would call that even via email. A verbal concern isn't really in the regs, but I would at least be careful of maybe how many of those we've had if the parents have requested an evaluation or if and or, I guess, they're all inclusive, and or if a teacher or a staff person has made sort of a comment about their concerns to a supervisor within yeah, the district. Yeah, really key there on that one. To a supervisor, so not just to a colleague, you know, saying, hey, what do you think, or anything along those lines. I want to go back to the second one, though, where the parent requesting an evaluation where the regs don't spell out in writing. And I think that almost swallows the first one, where if a parent in writing is expressing concerns, but they're not using any kind of magic words, I wouldn't get too hung up on using magic words to request an evaluation. So those do kind of seem to interact pretty closely. I think they do. And these are the moments in these three areas when IDEA broadly would say there are protections for these situations where one of these three or all of these three, for that matter, situations have arisen. And even though you don't yet have a child who's identified, if one of those three areas is present – you should be doing a manifestation determination review before you have removed that student from their placement for more than 10 days. But then there's like the men in black pen, right, where you can just like eliminate knowledge of something. You know, you just click it. I don't I don't really think that that works. No? No, but now I have the Will Smith song in my head. So thank you very much. Maybe we'll try to overlay that in the pot. That would be great. Probably also have to pay for it. So maybe yeah, we can't we're not going to do that. Are we allowed to say his name? I think we're allowed to say his name. We're allowed to say his name, right? It's, we're not saying his wife's name, which is also key. Forget her name, ouch mouth. Um, but uh, so. anywho. We can erase knowledge or eliminate knowledge. Whether, you can. I mean, it's not with a pen click, but it's not with a men in black pet men in black pen click. That one has a lot of really good alliteration there. But we do that how? Yeah, uh, one is do the evaluation and conclude the child's not eligible. So you know, back in September, mom said, "Hey, can we? I'd like an evaluation." We do it. We say, "Yeah, we don't see anything here." And then come March, kid does something goofy. We don't have knowledge anymore. We canceled that out. Um, we could also cancel it out if we say, you know, again, take that September example, mom requests an evaluation. We sit down and say, okay, this is what we propose. And I was like, I'm not going to let you do that. And we never secure consent, but we can show we tried. That also would cancel out knowledge. Would it also cancel out knowledge in the case of when you do the evaluation, you find the kid eligible, and the parent refuses the services that you're then offering? Yeah, uh, that would do the trick also. Um, it'd be a weird one, it'd be right? It'd be real weird. But it, it happens, it right? Does. When they see what, you know, especially with that initial offer, when the school has a lot more control over what services would look like, and if the parent realizes, oh, that means my child's going to be pulled out of class or something, I don't like that, I won't let you do it, fine. Well, knowledge eliminated. Which I think is fine. So eliminating knowledge is always a benefit. <laughs> yeah. 
that's what we stand for. <laughs> Not true, but that's also okay. So those are the very basics. I mean, in MDR world, it seems to be pretty cut and dry in, in terms of the law for when we have knowledge, when we don't, for an unidentified student. So we know what the law says. I want to look at an example, at least through case law, for what a court has done to apply this law or more important, a hearing officer. And so this case, I want to be a little bit... I don't know, not hesitant about, but broadly speaking, it is a Sixth Circuit case that came out in 2023, and it is out of a school district in Ohio called Revere Local Schools. Now, that being said, the case itself is a decision about exhaustion. And while I am yet exhausted, that is not Mm -hmm. the point of the case. Mm -hmm. It is about whether the parents have exhausted their administrative remedies. That is not an MDR case on its face. However, when you dig into the facts of it, It is an MDR case because the background really was that you had a high school student who was at lunch and made some concerning statements to his friends, meaning he said he might do harm to the school. He might do a school shooting. He hates people. His parents own an assault rifle. It's pretty concerning when you make that during lunch in a room full of people. For whatever reason... His friends do not report this to anyone that day. And so it is either after the school day that the report is made or at the beginning of the next school day that the school officials bring this kiddo in and they search his bag, they search his locker, and they start questioning him. And he said, you know, yeah, I said all of those things. He also said, hey, I have depression and I have suffered from suicidal thoughts due to the bullying that's been going on at school which mm-hmm. not ideal. He also said he had thought about bringing a gun to school. They didn't find a gun. I mean, no gun happened, right? So you're only dealing with threats. He even said that he had thought about shooting students who had been mean to him. He had thought about the easy targets for a lot of kids, which he said in this case, cafeteria and gym. That's awful, mm-hmm. right? And had said he has access to his parents' assault rifle at home. Confirmed by parents, right? That, Conf- that it would be a, there is one in the home, not that it's unsecured necessarily. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, the school district goes, we have a problem. Does their you know, notice of intent to suspend issues a 10-day suspension with a rec for an expulsion and even takes him to the local children's hospital, notifies his parents what they're doing. And I believe, I mean, reading from broad level facts, parents probably meet them there and they transfer custody of kid to hospital said parents. Clearly took this seriously. Very seriously. And so onward you go. Parents fight everything, which isn't surprising. They, the parents admit in the expulsion hearing that the parents did not know about the bullying And the school did not know then, therefore, about the bullying until the kids said it in the interview, the investigation process for the student discipline. So we don't have any complaints of bullying prior. We have no comment of anything except in the expulsion hearing, mom or dad says, I am requesting my student be evaluated for special education services. Do not expel him. I want this evaluation right now. Yep. And, and as far as that bullying and the notice and all of that, relevant, not, you know, blame the victim, anything like that, but just relevant in terms of when was the district on notice of anything. And Correct. Pretty good evidence. And there. we're not saying that bullying means you have a disability or being mm-hmm. bullied means you have a disability. It's just part of the facts of this case. And so with that, the parents file everything. So school, after the expulsion hearing, sends two letters home. Here's your expulsion notice for 80 days. They took it very seriously. And also, they proposed to conduct an expedited evaluation based on the parent's request in the expulsion hearing 
for special education services. So they didn't give the parents what they wanted because the parents didn't want the student expelled. They said, we'll do both. We need your kid expelled for violation of the student code of conduct, and we offered to do an expedited evaluation, which is part of what the regs say in these moments is that you need to be doing an expedited evaluation. Yeah, in the in the case of like here where the first notice of this concern happened after the incident that's causing the removal. Correct. Yep. But we had fights about the expulsion. So they appealed it up to the board. They appealed it to the state court. And then they went through due process. So they had the expedited evaluation, found the student eligible under the category of emotional disturbance, offered an IEP. Parents said no. They had privately placed the student at this point in time. Then they turned around and filed a due process on them as well for failure to conduct an MDR, failure to hold an appropriate IEP, and and all of these things because they didn't do it prior to instituting the expulsion. And so it's one of those cases where is that the buzzer beater? If you get the request in prior to that final decision, does that halt the decision? And and I think from the due process hearing officer, if you want to bounce in here – and, and I'll add in the other fact of the child, theoretically, we have to read between the lines quite a bit, but it sounds like the child may have given his version of notice of thinking he has a disability. He wouldn't use that mm-hmm. term exactly before the disciplinary process carried out, but after the incident occurred. So Correct. that's also in here. So the due process hearing officer, I, we talked about this. I mean, we think mm-hmm. got it spot on, uh, said, no, like the way the law works is you got what you're entitled to. They're going to do an expedited evaluation, which means just something faster than normal. So less than the 60 days that would apply between consent and completing it. And that's it. There, There is no obligation to treat your child as a child with disability when you can't establish one of those things for knowledge. You're you're acknowledging that you didn't uh, talk to the school about these concerns before. The school had no suspicions before. Um, you hadn't requested an evaluation. And this kind of came out of the blue, at least as we can tell in this hearing. It's not like this is a case of a long factual background of, and the kid had made prior threats. I mean, no. Yeah. I mean, so. it, now that he's on an IEP, they're not going to have that same excuse or reasoning, right? We have we'll have to do an MDR. I think it might be a little different if we spin the facts of these this case a little to a hypothetical. If they wouldn't have found him eligible, right? And then the parents have this argument that they believe he should have been. If it were to happen again, right? Is there some sort of knowledge now? I think there's a question. I don't think it's clear cut. Uh, just because now we have two incidents of the same thing, some bullying that you now have knowledge of and some concern of the parents that you now have knowledge of. But you might be able to say, if in my hypothetical, hey, we offered to do an evaluation, we did the evaluation, you were not found to be eligible, therefore you are not a student with a disability. We have, you know, used that that proverbial, you know, mind eraser pen yep. that you talked about. Mm-hmm. I, again, you could probably go either way, but the facts get a little murkier. They do. They um, do. But I mean, we, we not for today, but we have other cases we've encountered where, you know, the children were even hospitalized for mental health concerns. And being hospitalized once or maybe even twice isn't necessarily enough to say this is a child who's eligible under IDEA or that we even suspect. Um, you know, obviously, again, the more you start to put those in, the more reasons you have to maybe move cautiously forward. Well, and it's it's one where I love the parents' effort here in the buzzer beater. I do. I think All right, it's coach. great. Shut it. <laughs> great effort. I'm, great effort. Good job. <laughs> Missed that one by a mile. We're going to give you the sportsmanship award. <laughs> 
Stop hey, that it. was that was me as a kid in Little League. Stop it. <laughs> left field and sportsmanship award. Uh, well, left field's better than right field. <laughs> I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know the saying is you're out there in left field, but I really think right field gets less play than left field. <laughs> but that's just me because how many kids are left-handed in batting? Yeah. I'm just anywho. Yeah. We're all the sports analogies. Can we go back to theater analogies? That's where I shine best. Uh, but it's fine. So we've talked about the case, and now the lessons I think from this case are pretty clear. And that's why I liked using this aside from it is an exhaustion case, which is not the purpose of this. But the lessons of the MDR here, I think, are abundantly clear. And that what do you do when these requests come in at the buzzer when they're saying, you haven't expelled my kid yet. You now have knowledge at this point. And I think one thing to do as sort of a practical lesson from this is to do What is clear from this case, because it didn't appear in the facts from the court, is that no one said at that expulsion hearing, sit down, shut up, we don't care about that. And not every expulsion hearing officer is going to care in those moments about a request for an evaluation or those aspects. And I'm just trying to be I mean, truthful and honest. Sure. I mean, we we have listeners from across the country, depending on the size of the district, uh, some districts, they farm that stuff out more or less, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that that can create problems, especially depending on how your state does it. If there's kind of an appeal process or something, you might initially have a building principal who has hopefully some basic knowledge. Move on, you know. Well, and especially when you're talking about threats to school, threats to students. I mean, you're not talking about just an assault in the hallway, and I hate to call it that, but you're talking about access to a weapon and threats, right, to students and thought through targets. I could very well see a hearing officer saying, I don't care about what you think you're asking for. This student has done this and has access to weapons. And so in those moments, we need to make sure that our hearing officers at an expulsion level or any appeal level at least know not to say that and are able to say, We'll go ahead and I will direct the student services department to give you a phone call or an email, touch base with you after this hearing. We will forward your request on if they're not present in that meeting. Yeah, and this isn't a regular student discipline podcast, but having a script, especially if, you know, in Ohio, there Mm -hmm. are sometimes the boards of education hear appeals. And you could see a board like, hey, our number one job is safety. Don't care. Correct. And I do think in those moments, you... You give it deference to say, I hear this. We will pass it on to the right people. But then you continue with the discipline, similar to how this district did. They continued with discipline, passed on the message to the right department so that the student services, special education department, whichever it was, could contact the parent, offer to do that expedited evaluation and move forward. Because you can always go back after the fact, if you would need to, to look at what maybe that student's placement looked like during the pendency of the discipline. Would you have to? I don't think the law requires you based on the knowledge here, but having that ability to have the communication to the team and encourage the team then to reach out, look at a suspicion meeting. Do we think about having it's appropriate to move forward with an evaluation or not? All of that I think is is an important piece. So Aaron, what if we go back and revisit this notion of knowledge Mm -hmm. then and how maybe that kind of sneaks in unbeknownst to district leadership. So you and I have both been in plenty of meetings where we're discussing, you know, maybe there's a parent attorney. Well, the district should have known. Well, why would we have known? And then they slide across the desk a Vanderbilt mm-hmm. that a teacher filled out for some private psych two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, well, 
And the Vanderbilt, the teacher filled out is very concerning. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Or or emails. Um, you know, uh, we've said a million times, maybe even in this podcast, that the um, in in a field where a lot of people are undercompensated in education, the most undercompensated person in any district is its best paraprofessional, and we also follow that up with a way that educators get compensation is frankly the feel it feels good to know that people appreciate you. And that can lead to some informal communication between whether it's a para, a teacher, a counselor, informal communication where they might say things to kind of support the parent that could then later be understood to mean, well, it sounds like you had some concerns here. So we have to watch out for that, right? Hey, I had to be with little Johnny extra this week. He had really hard time paying attention. He was very, you know, impulsive and da-da-da-da-da. Well, great. And then when little Johnny does something impulsive, that winds him at the expulsion table, all of those informal conversations are going to come in and come into play for knowledge. Or your assistant principal, right? That, hey, I'm not going to kick Johnny out, but could you come pick him up? Uh That happens a few times throughout the school year. At what point are we expressing concerns about a pattern of behaviors here that should have made us think about possibly doing an evaluation. And that's why I like this case so very much because it seems clean. And it's the, it's when you get into the murkiness of how many communications have your teachers, staff, principals, assistant principals had? Have there been informal removals? Are there text chains? Are there emails? Has someone done a Vanderbilt that not saying we refuse to do Vanderbilt, so that's not what it is, but has someone done it and then failed to keep copies or send the copies up to an appropriate administrator, counselor, or whomever does that and may maintains them in a building so that they've alerted people to what they've done. I think it's really important in sort of that broader conversation. So if we revisit back to the caller and what we were really having this whole conversation to kick off on, having the request is not the buzzer beater, right? We're not getting it in just in time to help prevent discipline from happening, provided we have the moments of a lack of knowledge, which I think is really important. And then we're also not discounting the fact that the parents have still had this request. It doesn't mean that we can avoid it. It just means there's work to be done on the other side of discipline to consider whether or not an evaluation needs to be made. Thank you for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share and give us a review on your favorite podcast platform and follow or subscribe to On The Call. This helps other special education leaders find the podcast. If you have a topic you would like to suggest, a question about today's episode, or anything else you'd like to let us know, please email us at podcast at ennisbritton.com. A quick note, this podcast is intended to be used for general information only and is not legal advice. If you have a specific question, please consult an attorney. Whether by phone or this podcast, we're looking forward to being on the call with you again soon.